Good morning. It is so good to be back here. We're going to put some slides up here in a sec. And, uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, everything he said was true. And, and then some Dennis and Tina, there she is coming in the back, our, our dear, beloved friends. Um, I don't know how it's happening. Dennis keeps looking older every year, and Tina keeps looking younger. So I'm not quite <laughs> sure how they're pulling that off. But um, we prayed for Tina, obviously, through, through the challenging days she had. And, and we're just so grateful to be here with you. Um, Everything he said really was true. So our, our church does have a long uh, partnership with, with your congregation. We, we really knew you from the time this congregation was born. So I'm an old guy. Um, we've been partnering with Son of David longer than some of you have been breathing. So um, it's, been a, it's been a long time. And, and we have folks in our church that, as, as he said, support, support Scott and Margie and, all the, and their team actually in New Zealand, support Ryan out in Chicago. And uh, so it's kind of turnabout is fair play. So since... Since our church loves Jewish people, I want to invite you to love the Goyim. Uh, so would you guys start sh- you know, showing us some love? So uh, uh, um, let me back this up. Yeah, come on back, back. There we go. We can let one more. There we go. So uh, I don't know if it was Dennis or Scott, who were probably both of them preached this passage at, at my congregation. At, but let me just remind you what they tell us all the time. We're not ashamed of the gospel, right? It's the power of God, and it's salvation for, what's that next word? Everyone. First for the Jew, that's what Dennis and Scott would always tell us, right? You guys get to go first, uh, and, then, and then for the Gentile. And uh, so I have this, this strategy that's sort of evolved in my head over the years, that the Great Commission, which was read for us a few minutes ago, right, that what Yeshua said just before he left, he actually said that to his Jewish disciples when he said to go and make disciples of all nations. So it seems to me we can summarize this strategy it, it, very simply. It's two things. You've got to reach the Jewish people, and you've got to reach everybody else. And so once we get that done, then it's going to be a good time. In fact, uh, we learned a lot about that, too. Um, you see, the first... Jewish evangelist, so to speak, was our father Abraham, because God told him it was through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All the peoples, Ponta Ethne in Greek, all of them. And so many, many years ago, uh, this ministry was born, right? Chosen people was born, not, not just this congregation, but this ministry, chosen people. And uh, I was thrilled to hear Toby Mann's uh, testimony online. He's going to, anybody know the name of the seminary he's going to? It's called Talbot Seminary. Anybody want to guess who else graduated from that seminary? How cool is that? Yeah. So, so when he gets to campus out in La Mirada, California, one of the biggest buildings on campus is Feinberg Hall. Uh, and you, you can kind of connect the dots on, on that. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, we've known Cho- Chosen People Ministries for uh, 35 years, probably. Uh, we've known that. Let me introduce you to a ministry you've never heard of. It's called Converge. Um, Converge is a network of churches across the country. There's about 1,300 of us. We're planting about two new ones every year. Our church joined this movement of churches about 10 years ago. and um, They're all autonomous local churches, Bible-teaching, Bible-believing local churches. And we just work together to do a couple things, but we say it like this. We, we want to start and strengthen churches everywhere in the world. We want to just do that everywhere. That's what we're all about. I call us the undenomination because we're not really a denomination. We're just this network of, of churches. Um, but I have some really important information to share with you. And by the way, you guys are great. See, like my church, we get one hour to do the whole service. 
So like my people would be going nuts right now if the service had already gone this long and the pastor was just getting up there. But uh, I want to tell you that we don't have much time and I'm not talking about in the service. Yeshua's coming. Soon. Okay, okay, this is really good that you're cheering. Um, this is, I mean, that's good. Um, so, so, Paul told the Thessalonians that uh, we don't need to write to you about this. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So you're all cheering. That's, that's good because when he comes, well, it's going to be something, isn't it? Now, a few verses later it says this, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you. Right? So we, even though the day of his coming is unknown to us, we shouldn't be surprised when he gets here because we know he's coming. So verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians says, so encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Um, but listen, this is both good news and bad news, isn't it? When Jesus comes, he'll usher in, usher in a day um, when there's, this was quoted earlier too, when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. But to get from the moment when this all starts till that moment, there's some things in between. There's the time of Jacob's trouble, the, the great tribulation. There's, there's the millennium. I remember both of your congregational leaders that I love, both Scott and Dennis, at different times weeping over Jewish people who don't know Messiah yet. When Jesus comes, if they're not ready, it's not going to be pretty. right? It's going to be a very very difficult day. And so, if nothing else, what I would love for you to take away from my talk with you this morning is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of urgency. Uh, what I'm going to do uh, over the next few minutes is, is share with you three reasons that I believe that Yeshua is coming soon. By the time I'm done, I hope you are completely convinced that it's right around the corner. And if it is, that sort of changes the way we think. It should change the way we live. We should orient our lives around this truth that he's coming soon. And it's not just that he's coming. Um, any of you know the author John Eldridge? A lot of you men might have read his book. Um, he's a really good friend of mine. And uh, so he wrote the book Wild at Heart. His wife wrote Captivating. So if you want a good book for your men's ministry or a good book for your women's ministry, those are two great ones. But his most recent book is on the restoration of all things. And, and his point in that book is simply this. Um, the hope that most people have is not enough to get them through the hard times. Um, even just sort of the vague hope of heaven isn't enough. Our hope has to be rounded, uh, rooted, I'm sorry, in, in the words of Christ, in the promise of Christ. And then when he comes, the, when, when the Messiah comes, he will restore all things. He will make everything new. And, uh, and I'm longing for that day. And I'll, I'll tell you about that at the end of this talk. But I'd like you to pray with me. I'd like you to pray that, that God will, will, as you have prayed already in Hebrew, we'll pray in English now. My Hebrew's really rusty. Even though I went to Talbot and studied under Feinberg, I, that's really rusty. But um, we're going to pray that God would pour out his spirit with a sense of urgency. We're going to pray that God would pour out his spirit in such a way that he would call forth from this congregation missionaries, people who are on mission. Um, and so pray with me, would you? Let's just pray. God, thanks for this privilege that we have to be with this congregation we love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already here, that you've already been at work through the songs and through uh, the testimony of the scriptures. But now, God, would you come in a special way? Would you be our teacher? Um, Scott used to, to joke that 
we can wiggle our lips and God will speak. And so, God, I, I pray that that would happen even now. Convince us, Messiah, that you are coming soon. And then we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So, in that little bulletin of yours, there should be a handout that uh, I prepared for you guys. And if you want to grab that, it'll have most of these verses listed on there. Um, but here we go. Three reasons that I believe that Yeshua is coming soon. The first one, I frankly don't care if you agree with me or not. The second one you probably know better than me, but the third one is what I'm dedicating the rest of my life to. So uh, let's just dive right in. So uh, the first one of these, there we go, is this thing we already talked about. There's going to be a tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, right? Those, that's not my idea, that's, that's Jesus' idea. Well, what's it going to take to set the stage for the tribulation to happen? Well, I'd like to suggest to you this morning, come on, there we go, that the rise of technology and the loss of truth are setting the stage for the Antichrist, the anti-Messiah. I'd like to suggest to you that the scriptures teach us a lot about what it's going to be like just before Messiah comes, and it isn't pretty. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And so, for instance, here we go, this is about the anti-Messiah, right, the lawless one. He's going to come and he'll do these works, you know, counterfeit miracles and stuff. Just look at the part uh, that's in blue. They will perish because they refused to love the truth. You know anybody that refuses to love the truth? Our whole culture refuses to love the truth. The whole Western world refuses to love the truth. And guess what? Lots of other parts of the world refuse to love the truth too. In Iran, they have, they have a competition every year to see who can do the best at denying the Holocaust. They refuse to love the truth. In 1968, Time Magazine had as its cover story a lie that said God is dead. Uh, this year they had, is truth, it, is truth dead? You see, we hear about fake news. We hear about all kinds of things. It seems to me that technology is, is allowing lies to spread more rapidly than they ever have before. I'm going to put a couple pictures up here. You ever heard of these guys? Um, so this is our current president, our former president. This is not in any way political. I just want you to notice something. It can well be argued that these two guys, on paper, were the least qualified of anyone ever to run for president, right? Because President Obama was just a young senator when he ran, and Donald Trump was a businessman who, well, we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, so and again, this is not political, but, but what did they do? They used technology, they used their charismatic personalities in order to ascend to the most powerful <coughs> position in the world. Each one used their personal charisma to gain widespread media attention, good or bad. Like, President Trump doesn't seem to mind if it's bad publicity. He just likes to be on the news, right? But he was able to use his personality to get attention. But listen to this. In each one in their campaigns, they had really smart people working for them that harnessed technology. So when President Obama was running, for instance, if you were a Republican woman in Northern Virginia and you made a contribution to Planned Parenthood, his people would know about it and say, ah, that's a Republican who might vote Democrat. And in this most recent election, where I grew up is Western Pennsylvania. If you were a gun owner in Western Pennsylvania that su subscribed to Guns and Ammo magazine, even though you were registered as a Democrat, the Trump campaign would have said, 
there's somebody maybe we can get on our side. I just want you to notice, and, and again, I don't care if you believe me on this one or not, but, uh, but I really think that the rise of technology and the loss of truth are going to make it easy for the Antichrist to do those things that we read about in the scriptures. I just think that's what's happening. It's, it's getting ready, right? Uh, okay, but we can also use technology, and we'll talk about that in my third point. But now let me take you to Rome. Uh, I've never been to Rome, but if I ever went to Rome, this would actually be one of the things I would most like to see. Anybody know what that is? It's the Ark. It's actually of Titus, um, and you all know what that is, right? So that's the Romans taking the things from the temple in 70 A.D. when when Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, oh, and by the way, not really a part of my talk, but the whole world is focused on Jerusalem right now. Well, what does what does that tell you? Okay, so, so this is when the diaspora started and it was celebrated in Rome as, as, as the Jewish nation was crushed and, and sent everywhere. Uh, the second reason, the big reason, I've heard Dennis preach on this in Israel, uh, that I think it's coming soon is that we see prophecy fulfilled as God's people return to the land. Uh, in my church I'd say, can I get an amen? I don't know if you do that here, but it's really true. Um, I've been to Israel several times now, and uh, in total, probably I've spent about a month there. And uh, you see it everywhere, right? You just see it everywhere. Come on, button. Well, let me tell you, uh, while he's trying to figure that out, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It's Ezekiel chapter 37. I will take the Israelites out of all the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. You know, that prophecy happens in basically almost every single one of the prophets. There's only two or three that don't talk about it. And a lot of them are listed in your, in your outline there. Um, and when you go to Israel, as, how many of you have been to Israel? Let's just do a little poll here, so about half. Okay, the rest of you need to go. Um, going in July. You can go with them. So I was in Israel and I met this lady. This is Hannah Pick. It's Anne Frank's best friend when they were kids. I got to hang out with her for a day. She's a Holocaust survivor, obviously. And so God brought her from Europe to the Promised Land. And brought, God brought this guy from Russia. And this, was, and this picture was taken at the Western Wall in the synagogue there. When Goyim, like me, when, when Gentile people think about you know, Jewish people going back to the land, they usually think of what happened right after World War II. They, they've seen the movie The Exodus, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, here we go again. It's, there we go. Ah, back. You want to just advance them for me from the back? So bring the one that has the, the old boat on it. The Exodus, right? When, when, when people like me and churches like me, that, that one. When, when they think of, of people returning to Israel, they think of what happened after 1948. Go ahead and go to the next slide, please. But, but nowadays, those are Jewish people. But most... Western, you know, white boys like me don't know that Jewish people can look like that. They don't know that there's Jews in Somalia and Jews in China and Jews all, all over. Right? They, most people like me don't know that, but it's true. And God is bringing them back from everywhere. Now, let me get to a little preaching a little bit. There are currently Jewish people in 138 countries, and there's, of them, there's 58 what we call people groups. I'm going to explain more about that in just a minute. So there's Jews in Uzbekistan, and there's still Jews all over Europe, and there's still Jews in India and China, and they really don't know about the Messiah at all. 
In fact, some of them are in a kind of group that I'm going to describe for you in a minute where, where they've never heard of Jesus at all. Not, not one time has anyone ever gone among them and begun to talk about the Messiah. So something needs to, needs to change. Let's go to the next slide and see if it works. There we go. So here's the last reason that I'm convinced that the Messiah is coming soon, and I just want to kind of camp out on this one for a little while. You see, Jesus said what had to happen before he would come. Well, Yeshua said that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what do we have to do to speed the day when Jesus comes? We have to preach the gospel where? To every nation. And the word nation here really is people. And so, next slide, please. There we go. So I want to introduce you to a term. How many of you already know about people groups? Some of you. Well, let, this is really important. Everybody needs to learn this. Those of us who work in, in, in missions circles, we talk about this all the time. There's groups of people all around the world that need to know the Messiah. And so for our purposes, a people group is the largest way that you can sort of define a group in such a way that a church can get started in there and then, and then spread within that group. Uh, let me show you what I mean from Scripture. It'll be easier that way. At the end of time, when we all get to that place where the choir is going to be awesome... <laughs> They will sing, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What's a tribe? It's a family group, right? Those of you who read the Torah should know that, right? So a tribe is a family group. Um, Well then, what's a tongue? That's a language group, right? And then a people, that's a cultural group. And a nation, that's political boundaries, right? So, for instance, in Iraq, there's the Kurds and there's the Sunnis and the Shias, right? So that's three different people groups in one national boundary. I'd love for you, you're all geeky enough to do this, to go on the web and look at one or the other or both of these websites. Here's the really good news. We're getting there. In fact, we're almost done with having the gospel taken to every people group on this spinning orb, on this planet. Finishing the task has a list of those who no one has gone to yet, and the Joshua Project has a list of those that we're getting close with. Let me introduce you to my new boss. His name is Ivan Veldheisen, and that's just fun to say. Um, Ivan is uh, the head of international ministries for this network of churches called Converge, and he and I became friends about five or six years ago, and I had no idea that my life would change as a result of meeting this guy, but uh, in June of this year, we were up at a conference together in Erie, Pennsylvania, and he said, hey, Kevin, tomorrow let's take a walk. He's my friend. I'm thinking, we're going to take a walk, so we take a walk, but it turned out to not be just a walk. It turned out that he wanted to invite me to leave the church that we founded and that we've loved for three decades and go do something different. And, and I never, I never, never thought I would do anything other than stay where I am. I'm getting older, right? I figured I'd become the pastor emeritus and I could be the guy sitting in the back kind of, you know, drooling in the corner or whatever and the new guy could do whatever and, you know, that's how I figured it would, it would kind of end. But, but I even said, no, 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 we need you to come and lead with us 
because there's important things that God is calling us to do. This is what God is calling our particular group of congregations to do. We're asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group, and we're asking that it happen in our generation. I'm 61 going on 62. If this were to happen in the next 20 years, I'd like to think I'd still be here, which would mean I would be here when Jesus comes. I would be here to see the Messiah. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I feel 100% confident that my kids will be here then. I really do believe that with all my heart. That would, that would mean, listen, parents, our children don't have to die. Have you ever thought of that before? If the Messiah comes in the next 20 years, then, then it just changes a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> so um, this, oops, this is the way I think about it. How many people in the world are hurting, would you say? What percentage? 100%. Okay, good. So 100% of the people in the world are hurting, but not 100% of the people in the world need to know the Messiah for the first time. Here it comes. So what I call this is the Great Commission Bullseye. Um, There are people in groups that are what we call least reached. That's a technical term for those places where 4% of the left 4% 4% of the people or, or less are actually Bible-believing followers of the Messiah. If, if there's 2% or less, they're an unreached people. And if no one's even trying to reach them yet, then they're an unengaged unreached people. Let me give you some numbers. Unreached people, there's about 6,000 groups left. Unengaged unreached people... There's between 1,500 and 2,000 groups of people around the world who no one has ever yet even tried to tell them about the Messiah. But listen, there's only between 1,500 and 2,000. My organization took 30 off that list just last year. Just last year. And we're a little group. We're we're only 1,300 churches. Do you know how many Southern Baptist churches there are in America alone? Like 50,000. Do you know the church in the Philippines is sending missionaries to America and missionaries to India? Do you know the church in Brazil, one of, one of our churches in Brazil, has sent missionaries to Myanmar, the country of Burma? We say in mission circles now, the whole world is trying to reach the whole world. How cool is that? Yeah. It's no longer mostly Westerners going to the third world, as we used to call it, the, Uh, The majority world is what we call it now. But the majority world is now sending missionaries the other direction. Now, most people who do this kind of work, um, they show compassion. Many of you have probably heard of World Vision or somebody like that. Or they do evangelism. Think of Campus Crusade for Christ. It's a fabulous group, right? But most of that work happens in the outer rings where there's already a church. One of my favorite compassion ministries is called Compassion International. Anybody here sponsor a kid through Compassion International? You know, they're awesome. They're fantastic. One of my good friends is an executive with them. But they work where there's already churches. We need God to raise up an army of people to go where there aren't already followers of Christ. And so uh, what our group is doing is saying we're going to send 90% of all of the new staff that we raise up over the next 10 years, and we're going to send them to the least reached, the unreached, and the unengaged. And so we would love for you to pray with us about that. Our goal is to raise up 300 new missionaries within 10 years. And that count started two years ago when we're ahead of schedule. 
I think it's going to happen in five years. So, for example, listen, I, I, I heard Toby's, uh, you know, little testimony. He's going off to seminary, and then he wants to come back here. Maybe he shouldn't come back here. Maybe he should go to Uzbekistan or China or Tunisia. Guess what there are in all of those places? Unengaged, unreached Jewish people. He'd be really well qualified, perhaps. He's not here. I was going to preach right at him, but he's not here. Um, you know, he'd be maybe really well qualified to go to a place like that. And maybe it's not him. Maybe it's one of you, or maybe it's one of the kids down the hall that's in youth group now. But God, in every congregation, typically gives somewhere between 1% and 5% of the people in the congregation the supernatural giftedness to be a missionary and to cross cultures. You all are living kind of in a multicultural, kind of bizarro situation here, right? I mean, there's a lot of cultures merged, merged here in this congregation, which is beautiful, but that means you're comfortable crossing cultures. It's why your potlucks are so great. Uh, I mean, really, you know, it's true. And so, so pray with me about this. Pray that God would use your congregation to not just reach the Jewish people you know, of the, of the national capital region, as awesome as that is. I mean, and that's really an important thing. But we need to reach Jewish people here so that they can go there. So that, so that they can go to places. So, because, for instance, if, if let's say in Brooklyn, there's, there's a whole group of folks that are really still good at Yiddish, right? That's their language in addition to their culture and stuff. They can take that and they can go to Europe and they can go to... North Africa, and they can go to the Middle East, and just by speaking Yiddish and, be, and having that as part of their mother, mother tongue, they could do what I could never do, right? They could reach people that I could never, ever in my whole life reach. And so, would you pray with me about this? I hope that you will. I want to make this really personal now before I wrap this up. Now, um, here's some really good friends of mine. Uh, the lady in the middle, I don't know, but the two other adults in the picture are members of my congregation, and they're both deaf professionals. All around the world, there are deaf people that are not reached. As passionate as you are about reaching Jewish people, my congregation is that passionate about reaching deaf people. About 20% of the people in my congregation on a typical Sunday morning are deaf. And so our partnership is with the Anglican Diocese of Central Tanganyika, and, uh, and we're reaching deaf people in East Africa. And, uh, and we're praying that that will just grow and grow and grow and, and because there's deaf people, you know, all over the world that are in this mix of unreached people. Uh, just like we have different languages for spoken language, there's different languages all over the world in signed language. So they use Tanzanian sign language in, in Tanzania. And if you go to Mexico, guess what they use? Mexican sign language. But see, you're geniuses. I mean, how good was that? When we get to heaven... People are going to be singing. They're going to be signing, too. And this is what they'll sing. <laughs> Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, right? Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Are you excited to get that concert started? <laughs> I am. I'm going to take you to one other verse, and it's not in your outlines. I apologize that it's not there. But it's, it's, it's a verse that, uh, I don't know, decades ago grabbed my heart. And I'll tell you why in just a second. It just completely grabbed my heart. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Write that down if you would. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Peter is talking about 
a time of persecution. He's talking about it getting hard. He's, it, the context is really that he's expecting the Messiah to come back, right? Peter, in a real sense, was the first Jewish evangelist to the Gentiles, right? And then the Apostle Paul came along and did pretty okay as well. Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 12, look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Did you hear that last part? Speed, it's coming? You mean if, we, if we're faithful to do what God has called us to do, He's going to come back faster? I'm all in. I'm 100% all in to make that happen. I, I so want that to happen. And I said I was going to make it personal. Let me do that by introducing you to two young men that I care about deeply. This little boy is one of the deaf children in Africa. His name is Tumaini. Any Swahili speakers here? What's Tumaini, do you know? Hope. Hope, right. His name means hope. Okay? When I met Tumaini, he was hiding behind his mom in this gathering we had where we invited the deaf in this one village to come. And little Tumaini was hiding behind his mom. No one in that village had ever been taught the first sign of Tanzanian Sign Language. Wow. You see, the deaf people in most parts of the world are not allowed the gift of education. And most deaf children have hearing families, and so in that part of Africa, deaf people are thought to be cursed by God. There's other Swahili words that I won't teach you that mean really bad things, and they use them to apply to deaf children. So here's little Tumaini hiding behind his mom, never having been given the gift, he was at that time about six, never been given the opportunity to communicate in anything other than gestures. Right, so if I go like this, Tina would probably know I'm angry. But, but imagine me trying to share the gospel of the Messiah with her just by like making stuff up. We call them home signs. You just can't do it. And what kind of life is Tumaini going to have if he never gets to go to school and never has any language other than you know, what he can kind of make up with his hands with his family? He'll have no life. It'll be terrible. So now as a result of our partnership, that's him actually kind of smiling, you know. Um, Tumaini is in a Christian school run by our partnership. He's learning to sign. He's learning to read and to write and to do math. He's learning the gospel of the Messiah. He's learning all of those things because one small church in Maryland said that Tumaini matters. And so we have this international partnership. My, my church sends about as much money uh, to Tanzania as we do to chosen people. The budgets are roughly about the same. Uh, but as a result of the money that we send to Tanzania, as a result of the work that we do and our friends that go over there, you know, the teams that we send over there, uh, the life of Tumaini will change. Most people who are involved in missions are involved in missions because they're passionate about the people. Some of you are like this. Some of you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, and it, and it just tears you up at night uh, over the thought of people dying and not spending eternity with God. Boy, stir that up. Stir that up in this congregation. But there's one more reason for me that uh, has made me passionate about the Great Commission. It's why I'm going to spend the rest of my life, as long as God gives me breath, I want to use my life to speed the day when Jesus comes. Uh, look at these kids. They're the most adorable kids ever because two of them are my daughters. Um, so it's an old picture, right? Yeah, Tina knows they're all grown up now. So uh, Bryden is on the right and Kelsey's the little girl on the left. And the two little boys in the middle are Andrew and Jason. 32 years ago, as you've heard now a couple of times, my wife and I, we were young couples then, uh, with another young couple moved to Laurel, Maryland, and we started a church together. 
we had two daughters. Our, our dearest friends had two sons, Andrew in the middle and Jason. And this is a picture of Jason hugging a little boy on a missions trip uh, in the Caribbean. Well, four years ago, on February the 19th, Jason sat down on his couch to rest, and when he woke up, he was in heaven. He was 24 years old. 24. He had a previously undisclosed heart condition, and uh, he just died. He just sat down on the couch and, and died, and his roommates found him the next morning. His roommates didn't know what to do. They called the police. Eventually, the police called our dearest friends, Rick and Laura, well, called Laura's principal at her school and said, we need to talk to Laura. So Laura gets called in to the principal's office at the elementary school where she's a teacher only a couple miles from here, and a mile or two, really, from here, and um, worst day of our lives. So Laura is told by her principal that the homicide detectives are on the way and that they need to talk to her. So she calls us, Ann and I, hysterical, saying the homicide detectives from Baltimore are coming here. It, it, it couldn't, couldn't have meant anything but really bad things, right? And so I was there when, when the homicide detectives told Laura that her little boy was gone, and then her husband got there soon after, and we all got to tell him. And as we were walking out of the elementary school, Rick and Laura were in front of us, I was behind them, tears streaming down all of our faces. We were on our way to tell Andrew, the other son, that his brother was dead. And, and something just welled up inside of me, friends. It just welled up deep inside of me, and I literally shouted at God. It was kind of wild. I'm like, can we please get serious about the Great Commission? That was my prayer. See, I knew, here's Rick and Laura in front of me, I knew that if things go as they normally do, they were probably in their late 40s at that point, that they'd probably spend the next 40 years or more missing their son. But if Jesus were to come back, if the Messiah were to come sooner, that time would be shorter. Because when he comes back, what will there be? There will be all those people who have died in, in him coming with him, and there will be no more tears or death or crying or pain. I've been a pastor for a long time. I think that's obvious by my white beard. Um, so uh, I've done about a hundred and some weddings. I don't know what the number is, but I've done over 200 funerals. And I'm longing for the day that some pastor will get to heaven and say, I did the last funeral. <laughs> there just aren't going to be any more of those. Like, because Jesus has defeated death. We're going to celebrate that in a couple weeks, aren't we? So let's speed the day when death is no more. God himself will be with us. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Years ago, I did a sermon where I took the yellow pages. Remember the yellow pages? Yeah. And, I, and I went through it, and I just started tearing out. Okay, here's one for Tina. Oncologists, they'll be unemployed, right? Funeral directors, eh, wonder what they're going to do in heaven, right? Even auto mechanics, I don't know, maybe you can build cool cars, but they won't break anymore, I figure. So, you know, all those people will be unemployed. So, I have a couple questions for you. They're in the outlines, and I'm going to read them to you kind of fast, but I hope you'll take some time with them. The first one is, are you willing to set aside your comfort and your selfishness for the sake of the Savior to... See lost people reached is often uncomfortable. But for the sake of our kids, 
for the sake of our Jewish friends, for the sake of those who have never heard. You know, there's lots of places in this country where there's lots of people that haven't decided to follow Jesus, but they've heard of him. They even use his name as a swear word. But there's lots of places around the world where if you say Jesus, they'll say, what? They will have no idea who you're talking about. What about them? We've got to think about them. And so then are you willing to give of your time and of your money, of your talent, to make a difference, to speed the day when sin is no more? There's a, there's a box in the back. That'd be a great place to start. Your congregation matters. I would not take one penny from you for my missionary work until I'm sure you're giving to your own congregation. That's just the way it is with us. We, but, it, you know, that offering, I see you're ahead of budget. Yay. Be way ahead of budget. Right? I mean, we've got to do that. If you'd like to pray about this stuff I've been talking about uh, with you this morning, I actually have a sheet out there. If you, you know, give me your email, I'll send you uh, email updates about once a month about what God's up to around the world. And I have the traditional missionary prayer card that if you'd like one of those, I'd love to give you one of those too. But you could pray. Everybody in this room can pray. You don't have to give a dime to be able to pray. Um, One last thing, though. I don't think we gather on Saturday morning just to learn cool stuff or to hear from some funny old guy. I think we gather on Sunday morning or Saturday morning because God wants to do something. So the last question that I'm going to pray with you about after I tell you one more cool story is what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do this week to speed the day when Jesus comes? Maybe it's as simply as saying, Pastor, I'm going to pray for you. That'd be great. I mean, that would be a great place to start if you would pray for me. I've prayed for you for years, so you owe me some. <laughs> so, you know, if you would pray for me, that would be fantastic. Um, if you would learn more about what a, an unengaged, unreached people group is, that would be good. Uh, maybe you have, you have a friend who, who you see in them some gifts that God could use as a missionary. Maybe there's young people in this church that, that you want to be more engaged with to help nurture them so that they're ready to go and when their time is, is, is there. Um, my daughters are in Australia, and it's really hard to have your kids far away. But I think God's going to ask your congregation to send some of your kids far away. So let me tell you one last story. Who here would like to participate in the greatest jailbreak of all time? I, I once a month, sometimes more than once a month, go into Jessup Correctional Institute. It's a maximum security prison, um, and uh, it's, it's an amazingly dark place you got to go through door after door after door and and uh, they honestly their their policies on letting letting volunteers in is kind of insane to be honest but i love going in there there's a church inside of there led by inmates three of the four pastors are serving life sentences and by the way there's no such thing as life with parole even though on paper that is you know something that judges hand out because ever since uh, Michael Dukakis's campaign, when he was, you know, tarred and feathered for, for Willie Horton, um, no governor will ever release anybody with a life sentence. So the guys who get life sentences, they never get out. Okay, so three of my pastor friends are serving life sentences. And um, so uh, I was in there, and I was telling them some of the same things that I'm telling you. And, and one of the deacons came up to me and said, Pastor, we're not allowed to give money to our church inside the prison, so I'm going to start tithing to your new ministry. And I, my heart was so moved by that, you know. Uh, but get, get this. He gets paid about $2 a day. So a tithe on that's 20 cents a day he'll be sending me, you know. Mm-hmm. At the end of the month, it might be 6 bucks. 
Um, but, but it's like the widow's might. Um, yes. but, but here's the thing. <laughs> um, all, the, all these guys in this, in this prison, when the world looks at them, they have these labels. You know, murderer, drug dealer, that kind of stuff. But both King David and the Apostle Paul could have had the same labels. <laughs> right? And they turned out okay. So, so the thing is, some of these guys in prison, they are, they are the most on-fire followers of Yeshua I've ever known in my life. And there's this day that's going to come when the sky is going to split open and the Messiah is going to be there and he's going to call everyone out who are his followers. And in that prison, it's going to be crazy. Because <laughs> a whole bunch of people are just going to be gone. And then imagine being the correctional officer that day. Where's Ricardo? Dang, jailbreak. You know, they're all gone. They're all out of here. And they'll have to figure out what happened. And what will have happened is the Messiah will have come. And I think that jailbreak, I truly think that jailbreak is right around the corner. You know, a- after the calling out of the church, to use this kind of churchy language, then you know what happens next? During that time of tribulation, I'm sure you've been taught this before. It's 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will then go out, right? Well, you don't have to wait for that. Send them now, right? But let's send, let's send some of them now. Pray with me, would you? Let's pray. Lord God, this congregation is the apple of your eye. It, it is just so filled with people that you love so much. And yet, Father, we know that you love every single person on the planet just as much as you love us. And there are millions of people who have never heard that your son came. They just don't know. And it was read earlier. Uh, How can they hear without a preacher? Uh, Romans 9 and Romans 10 is a passage so dear to this congregation. Let us live that out. God, would you write on each of our hearts what it is that you would have us do this week to begin to speed the day when the Messiah comes. For some of us, that's our our money. We need to invest more in in the things of your kingdom. I think for all of us, this should be something that we pray about. So God, stir in us a desire to pray for lost peoples around the world. But then God, for I think, certainly in my congregation, but I'm sure in this one too, for many of us, there really needs to be a change of heart. Like the Israelites of old, like followers of Jesus around the world today, we still have our idols. We still spend our time and we still spend our energy and we still spend a lot of our mental focus on things that just don't matter at all and things that are far from you. So we we repent of that today. God, would you use us to speed the day when Messiah comes? Would you use us to speed the day when death is no more? God, I can't imagine you'd say no to that prayer. So we look forward to what you're going to do. And so we pray this now in the powerful name of the Messiah. Amen.